Here we are again for our 10th episode of Temporary Fandoms. That's right, we've done 10 of the bloody things. This is the second and final part of our journey through the discography of Yola Tango, so if you haven't heard episode 9 yet, we recommend, and I mean strongly recommend, that you go back and start there. We're joined again by sexy lexicographer Ben Zimmer, who will guide you through the records, after which we resume our discussion with singer Jeffrey Lewis and author Jesse Jarnow the men who wrote the Yola Tango comic and the biography, respectively. Seriously, I have no idea how we follow this. But don't worry about that for now. I'm supposed to mention that you can find all our episodes at Beat Rehab. That's beat.rehab slash tempfans. Join our Facebook group, Temporary Fandoms, or even follow us on Twitter at tempfans, if I ever remember to update it. But frankly, I'm just too excited to hear some great records, followed by Jesse and Jeffrey getting all worked up about them. It's a real treat. Join us for the occasionally riotous sounds of Yola Tango. Hello, uh, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Uh, I'm Ewan, and this is episode 10 go of Temporary Fandoms. Uh, yeah, Ben is looking at me like I've just made the worst pun known to man. Um, in the last episode, we went through the first eight albums of Yola Tengo, um, and we had a very fascinating, long conversation. There were some shocking opinions. Uh, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that. Subscribe wherever you've got your stuff. Um, we're going to keep it relatively quick as it's part two, but just to say who we've got in the room again, we've got yeah, Jesse. Hello. <laughs> we've got Jeffrey. Hello. Uh, ben, obviously. Good to be back. And Nick. Yeah, hey, I'm here. Awesome. So, um, Ben, what are we going to go start with today and go up to? Okay, so this time we have Yola Tango in the 21st century. We already covered all of the 80s and 90s, and we're moving on. We're starting with And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out from 2000. Um, and then we have Summer Sun. We have the wonderfully titled I Am Not Afraid of You and I Will Beat Your Ass. Then we take a, a little excursion into a side project called Condo Fucks, uh, Yola Tango with a different name, with an album called Fuckbook. And then after that, we've got popular songs, Fade. Then we have Stuff Like That There. And finally, There's a Riot Going On from 2018. Perfect. Um, later on, you're going to find out why I got so excited when I was listening to Fuckbook um, and danced around the house with glee. Um, but we will save that bombshell until later. I'm going to hand you back over to Ben now, um, who you will hear again after this. First, let's take stock of Yolo Tango's position in the indie rock firmament heading into the 21st century. Their first three albums for Matador, Painful, Electra Pura, and I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One, had established the band as a force to be reckoned with by the late 90s. While Ira, Georgia, and James consolidated their sound on those albums, with producer Roger Mutno at the helm, they had become critical darlings, with a hipster cachet later parodied by The Onion in the classic article headlined 37 record store clerks feared dead in Yolo Tango concert disaster. They were beloved in the alternative comedy world as well, with Bob Odenkirk and David Cross of HBO's Mr. Show making memorable appearances as record execs in the video for Sugar Cube. 
Yolo Tango was even invited to rework the theme song for their favorite TV show, The Simpsons, giving it a psychedelic treatment for the closing credits of a 1998 episode. Success didn't go to the band's heads, however. They just kept doing what they had always been doing, even as they were getting lauded by Pitchfork as, quote, the greatest band in the universe. Compared to I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One, and then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out from 2000 is a hushed affair. If you're expecting an upbeat rocker in the mold of Sugar Cube, there is just one of those coming rather late in the album, Cherry Chapstick. But on the way is some of the best of the soft and dreamy side of Yola Tango. Our Way to Fall is Ira and George's Ode to Contented Domesticity. Let's Save Tony Orlando's House is certainly the best song ever structured around a throwaway joke on The Simpsons. You Can Have It All shows they can make an awesome cover out of anything, in this case, an obscure 1974 disco tune by George McRae. Things get even softer and dreamier toward the end, closing out with their 18-minute minimalist opus, Night Falls on Hoboken, remarkably recorded all in one single live take that took two days to set up at Roger Mutno's Nashville studio. In 2001, the band made some new atmospheric explorations when they were asked to compose and perform an instrumental score for The Sounds of Science, a program of eight short films shot underwater. The score was released the following year as The Sounds of The Sounds of Science. Think of it as the aquatic version of Stevie Wonder's Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants. And in 2002, the Nuclear War EP displayed another kind of sonic experimentation containing Yola Tango's cover of Sun Ra's 1982 chant track done four different ways. In concert, they have sometimes been joined by the Sun Ra Orchestra, now led by Marshall Allen, well into his 90s, and it's a delight to hear them all join in on the chorus. If they push that button, your ass gotta go, it's a motherfucker. Yola Tango were in full Sun Ra mode around this time. The title, And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out, comes from a Sun Ra quote. When Summer Sun followed on the heels of And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out in 2003, it seemed like Yola Tango had decided to give up on their noisy ways entirely. With another album full of muted, low-key atmospherics, and without even a raver like Cherry Chapstick to buoy the mood. But if you accept it on its own laid-back terms, you'll find some of their finest, subtlest compositions on Summer Sun, particularly Little Eyes and Season of the Shark. They get jazzy on numbers like Georgia vs. Yolotango and the 10-minute Let's Be Still, complete with flutes and strings. Georgia's voice is well-suited for the chill vibe on songs like Today is the Day, and the closer, the big star cover, Take Care. Even as the band was receiving more attention and adulation than ever before from the indie rock scene, they were still able to craft mature, downbeat compositions that sounded quite intimate, grappling with complex emotions. In 2006, when Yola Tengo came out with the aggressively titled album, I Am Not Afraid of You and I Will Beat Your Ass, one thing was clear to fans of the band. The noise was back. From the feedback-drenched opening of Pass the Hatchet, I Think I'm Good Kind, 
you can tell we've turned the page on the languid sounds of And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out and Summer Sun. And just to drive the point home, the album begins and ends with 10 minute plus noise jams. In between those two audacious statements, the band sounds newly energized on tracks like Beanbag Chair, Mr. Tough, The Race Is On Again, The Room Got Heavy, and I Should Have Known Better. James McNew proves that Stockholm Syndrome was no fluke, again impressing on lead vocals with black flowers. All in all, it's a return to form that, like I Can Hear the Heart Beating as one before it, clicks along confidently through eclectic genres. Yolatango has a policy of never explaining their song or album titles, but I Am Not Afraid of You and I Will Beat Your Ass paraphrases a threat made by Tim Thomas of the New York Knicks basketball team to his teammate Stephen Marbury. Pass the hatchet, I think I'm good kind, has something to do with Pass the Dust, I Think I'm Bowie, a 1980 album by Black Randy and the Metro Squad. And the closer of the album, This Story of Yola Tango, pokes fun at how often the band's name has been misspelled over the years. Yola Tango self-released another more shambolic album in 2006. Every year, the freeform radio station WFMU, headquartered in Jersey City, right next door to Hoboken, holds a fundraiser, and one tradition has been for Yola Tango to come to the studio and improvise whatever requests listeners want to hear, as long as they pledge. It's all very seat of the pants, but a whole lot of fun. Yola Tango is Murdering the Classics, released on the band's Egon label, collects a bunch of the requests, recorded from 1996 on, in a bit of fan service. But it also drives home how the band members are themselves, first and foremost, music fans. In 2007, Yola Tango contributed to the soundtrack to the Bob Dylan-inspired movie I'm Not There. George's voice is perfect on Fourth Time Around from Blonde on Blonde, and they just kill it on the obscure rocker I Want to Be Your Lover, an outtake from 1965. That second song is a favorite of the band when they play the Eight Nights of Hanukkah, with a focus on Jewish songwriters, including Bobby Zimmerman, of course. That tradition began at Maxwell's in Hoboken and has continued at Manhattan's Bowery Ballroom in recent years after Maxwell's closed down. Now for a change of pace. In 2009, Matador released the album Fuckbook, a decidedly lo-fi effort of 11 covers by the mysterious band Condo Fucks, billed as the legendary New London, Connecticut trio. But surprise, it was really Yola Tango taking on a garage band persona and letting it all hang out, covering everyone from the small faces to Slade. The title's nod to Yola Tango's covers-heavy album Fake Book was a bit of a giveaway. The Condo Fucks recording session was really just a pre-show rehearsal in their Hoboken practice space, and the whole thing was an excuse to have some fun, and it sure sounds like it. The project all started with a joke on the inner sleeve of I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One, which listed a bunch of made-up matador bands, including the Condo Fucks. Yola Tango must have enjoyed the name and the odd backstory of a band billed as Straight Out of Connecticut, because they assumed the Condo Fucks guys for a Matador showcase in March 2008 at the final show of the Brooklyn Club Magnetic Field. James recorded the rehearsal session 
and that unpolished recording became the album Matador released. The off-the-cuff style of fuckbook, with the band recording live takes gathered around a single microphone, has been something the band has returned to whenever they've needed a jolt of raw energy. The album Popular Songs was actually kind of popular in 2009, at least by Yola Tango standards. It peaked at number 58 on the U.S. Billboard charts, eight spots higher than I Am Not Afraid of You and I Will Be Your Ass. And the first nine of the album's 12 tracks stay true to the melodic pop song format, though at times getting a bit trippy, especially on Here to Fall and By Twos. The band uses a string section for the first time, adding nicely to the atmospherics throughout and providing some retro soul on If It's True. Nothing to Hide is a great straight-ahead rocker, and Periodically Double or Triple is fun and funky. The pop song approach breaks down on the final three tracks, though, as we get back-to-back-to-back extended jams, ending with the 16-minute rave-up and the glitter is gone. It's almost like two different albums were fused together, but the band has always had a bit of a split personality. This bifurcated approach also mirrors the experience of seeing the band in concert, where sweet pop ditties can give way to fuzzed up free-for-alls over the course of an evening. For the album Fade in 2013, Yola Tango said goodbye to their longtime producer, Roger Mutno who had been with them since Painful. They moved on to work with John McIntyre of Tortoise and The Sea and Cake. The result has a sheen that sounds a bit like those two bands, also harking back to their own more tranquil, reflective albums like Summer Sun. No 10 minute plus noise fests this time around. The loudest they get is on Ohm and Paddle Forward, But even then, it's in the service of an enveloping wash of sound. It's all very fluid and mellow, even on relatively quirky numbers like Well You Better. Stupid Things, I'll Be Around, and Cornelia and Jane form one of their prettiest sequences of songs. And the horn and string arrangement of Before We Run closes everything out with some grandeur. The album Stuff Like That There, from 2015, is something of a return to Yolotengo's younger days, namely Fake Book, from 25 years earlier. Like that album, it's mostly covers of songs culled from their voluminous record collection with some originals thrown in. And like Fake Book, they cover a couple of their own older songs, this time The Ballad of Red Buckets from Electra Pura, and deeper into movies from I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One. Guitarist Dave Schramm also returns to the fold for the first time since Fake Book, contributing again to a pleasing folk rock vibe on many tracks. Seeing as how Fake Book holds a special place in my heart as my introduction to the band, this approach totally works for me. I love how they can take any song and make it their own. So on this we have Hank Williams by way of Al Green, on I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry, The Love and Spoonful on Butchie's Tune, George Clinton's early soul act, The Parliaments, on I Can Feel the Ice Melting, 
Darlene McRae of the 60s girl group The Cookies on My Heart's Not In It. Sun Ra's doo-wop combo, The Cosmic Rays, on Somebody's In Love. And we even get The Cure on Friday I'm In Love. It was certainly surprising to find Yola Tango covering The Cure, but George's tender vocals make you forget all about Robert Smith. And the video for Friday I'm In Love is perhaps their best, with Georgia somehow setting off the apocalypse. The final album of our deep dive into Yola Tango is There's a Riot Going On from 2018. If the title has you hoping it's their Sly and the Family Stone tribute, you'll be disappointed. But if you dug the chill vibes of And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out, you should enjoy this dreamy, hushed affair. In fact, if you look hard enough, you can find some interesting parallels to Sly and the Family Stone's brilliantly hazy 1971 album, There's a Riot Goin' On. Yola Tango changed Goin' to Going for their title. Sly Stone opened his band's album with Love and Hate, starting with the line, Feel so good inside myself, don't want to move. When Yola Tango's album came out, the times were similarly riotous, but like Sly before them, they respond to the chaos of current events by turning inwards and finding peace within. The band has been able to shut out the noisiness of the outside world by retreating to their studio space. And for the first time on their 15th studio outing, uh, they made the album on their own without a formal producer. Ever since they recorded themselves as the condo fucks for Fuckbook, they had been learning how to let music emerge autonomously in their own practice space. James McNew has become the band's de facto engineer, though for There's a Riot Going On, they brought in John McIntyre, who they worked with on Fade, to do the final mixing. You can hear how the songs coalesced from instrumental jams, with vocals treated as just another instrument in the mix. In the meandering soundscapes of songs like she may, she might, and dream, dream away. On Above the Sound, Ira underscores the introspective mood with the line, for all our heads may spin, see if we can look within. What this and other more recent Yolotengo albums uh, bring home to me is an appreciation of the engine that's been driving this band for more than three decades now a kind of humanism, a compassionate sound, radiating from the stable core of a couple, Ira and Georgia, who love music, listening to it, collecting it, making it, sharing it. And James, of course, is a kindred spirit. No matter how noisy they've managed to be over the years, that has been the quiet constant underneath it all. Hello, welcome back for the final conversation about Yola Tengo. You have listened to, by now, selections or the entire discography of one of, well, one of America's most important, maybe influential bands of the last 20, 30 years. Um, we've got the same group again. You're going to hear our opinions and we're going to start straight away with And Then Nothing Turned Inside Out. Um, in the last episode, we talked a little bit how bands got jazzier. Um, this album had a bit of a jazzy feel at times for me. I will say, let's say Tony Orlando's house was 
gorgeous dream pop with this great little groove running through it, which I didn't expect. Um, there's a touch of the Bell and Sebastians going in there. There's still the Velvet Underground. My brain still does not know who this band is. Ben, will I ever know who this band is? Well, if you don't know by now, I don't know if you'll ever know. I mean, you just have to embrace the fact that they can do all these things and they will never be satisfied with just being pigeonholed into, you know, one type of sound. And, you know, the fans love them for that, for their for their range and versatility. Um, and so, yeah, with this one, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I can hear the heart beating as one, which we talked about as the last one from um, from the last episode. I would say it had a bit more range than this one, because this one in general is just a quieter album. Um, and they do have, you know, like Cherry Chapstick is a kind of a raver in the model of Sugar Cube from the last album. But I, yeah, I love, as you mentioned, Let's Save Tony Orlando's House, um, which of course uh, is a joke from The Simpsons. I think only Olatengo would make a song like that based on some total throwaway line on The Simpsons, you know, one of uh, Troy McClure's uh, Telethons was that? Do I have that right? Jesse? Yeah, and, and then see the joke all the way through. You know, it's not just like a throwaway right. reference oh, to right. the title, like the lyrics, exactly. or you know, they fully realize the the tel- the uh, the telethon. Yeah, they 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 decide they're going to make a whole plot out of that one line, um, and so love that. Um, and like you can have it all. I mean, the, the you know another cover, but they they turn this disco song by Jordan McRae from the seventies into a Yola Tango song. It's pretty pretty much. You know, I mean, you can you can see how just eclectic their influences are, where they could they could hear a song like that and say, oh, yeah, we can do that. We'll do a Yola Tango version of that and come out with something incredible like that. Um, And so, yeah, again, they're just they're confident they're working again with Roger Mutno, this great producer who understands their sound and and what they're trying to do, lets them spread out when they want to spread out. Um, Yeah. You know, perhaps not as noisy as other albums, but. Uh, but still, you know, really, really polished and well-produced and everything. Um, just, to, just to sing something back in. Um, so they made a song from a line in The Simpsons, and then they also did a version of The Simpsons theme music at some point in their career, right? I read that somewhere. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, was that? Uh, ooh, I'm trying to remember. That might have already happened at the time, or it was just about to happen. I don't remember what year The Simpsons uh, thing was but yeah one of the simpsons writers uh, donna carey is a big big yola tango fan that was how that connection happened but yeah you know that's par for you know them um jeffrey um you were at the end of the last episode you were you were you were shouting the death knell for things this is when things go wrong um did it go wrong or did they save themselves for you oh man well okay so while i can hear the heart beating as one is uh is maybe not my favorite Yola Tango record, but it's still like you know it might be my third favorite. Okay, you know when I was <laughs> when I was knocking it to everybody's chalk in the last episode, I, I you know it might be like at number three slot for me behind Electro Pura and May I Sing with Me, um, so it's it's still way up there for me. But it was kind of like, where are we gonna go from here? We've done this other thing to perfection. Here's a bunch of other directions we might go in, and they just. When they tried uh, door number two on on this record, I was like, "Snooze!" That's I'm. <laughs> they picked. I didn't know wh- which one of these ways they were going to go, but they picked a way. I was hoping they were not going to go, and I just couldn't stand this out. I was like, "Man, my favorite band." You know, sometimes bands 
make a bold move like that where they do something. You know, I'm sure when the Grateful Dead put out Working Man's Dead, it was like, these guys were my favorite psychedelic prog rock band. And now they just did an acoustic album of country songs. You know, bands do these things, you know, Neil Young put out trans. People do albums that are deliberately like, what can I do? to piss off Jeffrey Lewis. And in this case, <laughs> they succeeded. Um, oh, was this the one, was this the boring album? You, you did the, that wonderful little comic about, and you said, apart from the boring album, was this the boring album? Actually, that was the next album. Because um, <laughs> that, when I, when I heard, yeah, well, well, we'll get there when we get there. But before we get there, let's just rewind for like two seconds because we're skipping over uh, Genius Plus Love, which is not an album proper, but it came out after I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One. And it's a collection. It's a collection of previously uncollected songs. It's like B-sides and other things. And this, can, for people like me, who particularly love the mid-90s Yola Tango, this is an essential album. Because if you want more of the kind of songs that you got on, uh, you know, Painful, on Electropura, here's a whole bunch more of them right here. And this has some incredible tracks that are still incredible live songs that they pull out. Um, Artificial Heart is just, uh, it, you know, there's a lot Evanescent of Evanescent Psychic Pez Drop, that uh, on, that's on there, right? Yeah, just killer. Um, and uh, Fog Over Frisco and Demons. I mean, this is, cl- this is a slice of classic top-notch Yellow Tango right here, Genius Plus Love, even though it's a collection of, of uh, previously uncollected tracks. Well worth checking out if you're if you're delving into Yola Tango. This would this is an essential album. In my yeah, and it, you know it also has yeah. kind of the beginnings of them. A lot more of them, kind of like pushing in these <laughs> these different directions that I that I I love with uh, with you know sort of soundtrack work um, and and extended noise freakouts. That's got sun squashed on it. It's definitely yeah, it definitely belongs on your your Yola Tango shelf. Yeah. Now, when it comes to nothing, turn itself inside out. The only song on here that I like is um, Night Falls on Hoboken, which is the, the last track, which is a beautiful, you know, almost 18 minute atmospheric jam. And interestingly, I don't understand exactly why they felt like they needed to record it live, but apparently the recording of it was done in, in a live take and it took them a number of takes to nail it. And I don't remember if I, did I get this story from your book, Jesse? It's, it's, is this, yeah, that story's in there. Yeah, maybe that's where I heard this. I wasn't sure if I heard it from Roger Mutno, because I, I, I recorded my last time with my band with Roger Mutno, partially just so I could get Yola Tango stories out of him. <laughs> more, it's more than I got from him. <laughs> I didn't remember if that was where I heard, but apparently in order to record that song, they had to, because Ira is on acoustic guitar and it's a very quiet song. But then he takes like a sort of droning electric guitar solo and they had to like in the middle of recording this long song where they're trying to get a perfect take of an 18 minute song and not have to re-record this 18 minute song again and again. He has to actually like walk to this other part of the room and start doing the electric stuff where the sound is not going to like he switches to another amp or something. They, They had to do this elaborate staging of how they could record this in one live performance. I'm like, why? Just do an overdub, man. Like, don't you don't have to record the 18 minute song like live, uh, but it, whatever they did to capture it is fantastic. And that is just a, an incredible, beautiful recording. Um, but the rest of the album, you know, I've grown to appreciate it. At, at this point, I can put this album on and enjoy it. Um, but at the time, this was like, 
you know, when you, you are so excited for your favorite band's new album and you're just like, you know, it's one of those things. We've all had that experience. And um, it was it was a worthy experiment. It was brave of them to try, but uh, not for me. <laughs> so 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 you didn't go down and scream Judas, Judas at them like Bob Dylan fans did when he plugged in. <laughs> Essentially, well, my way of doing that was like when I heard that Summer Sun was another quiet album, I just didn't buy it. It was like the first album of theirs that I didn't buy, you know, after owning every one of their records. That was the first time that I decided, you know, I'm not even going to bother. And, uh, and I even stopped seeing their live shows for a while. I saw a live show that it, I was just like, I'm kind of bored. And I didn't, it wasn't until, uh, you know, I saw them at South by Southwest in 2008 and they were devastatingly awesome again. And I was like, okay, they're, they're back. I, I, they're my favorite band again, you know, but there was that little period in the mid. And you mentioned Bell and Sebastian uh, a little earlier. I blame, Bell and Sebastian is partially to blame for the fact that everybody went easy listening at this time. Late 90s, early 2000s, it was like, where did rock and roll go? Everybody who had been a rock band, it seems to me, from a, just a fan's perspective, everybody was just doing the freaking easy listening, jazzy, loungy, Bell and Sebastian thing. Everybody wanted to sound nice. You know, Will Oldham used to be this weird, edgy, you know, uh, cat, cat Power was like a weird, edgy, noisy character. And then, like, everybody's just sounds nice all of a sudden. And I was like, what? Why is everybody just trying to sound good and nice? Like that's, it just seemed boring to me. This was the album that maybe was bought by the dinner party set, as in, oh, this is the album we must buy, um, whether or not, you know. Because we can have it on in the background, because it's so innocuous, we can play this in the background in a cafe or something. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I like it. I'll put it on now and I'll listen to it. Um, but yeah, I, I wish they had taken another direction. <laughs> Nick, did you like door number two? <laughs> I do like door number two as it happens. Yeah, I kind of do enjoy the kind of, I enjoy lounge or the tango. But I kind of, you know, I guess it's, it's the later albums because I really enjoy some of the, the more recent stuff, which also goes in that kind of direction. I mean, well, I mean, for me, this is, you know, this is the Yola, these are the Yola Tango records where I, this was the era when I was actively falling in love with, with the band. Um, and, you know, part of that era for me, you know, I get, I, I do hear what you're saying about the loungy thing, but I guess my main association with that era, and, and you know, this is, you know, my very personal association with that era is being a mopey 20 something. And those records were just such this, you know, beautiful heart bomb you know b-a-l-m that kind of you know just just you know just to 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 wrap myself in and they were so comforting and wonderful and there is i do find dark edges in there for sure um lyrically but i i guess i also want to push back a little bit on the loungy thing because i guess for me where i was coming from as a listener was you know i was sort of a a jam refugee i suppose is, is where i was at that point and the thing that appealed to me about that about those records was just the, the, the sense of space that they had and it's like all these different like textures and 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 play you know you know that they could get super quiet and 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 yeah it's just you know i loved that that the minimalist like drum machine on on every day and all just all these yeah all these different textures that they had that were not you know i was you know i guess i like some grunge music, but I was never really into the testosterone part of, of rock and roll. But I, you know, I, I, you know, I love, 
I love rock and roll, but I also love the stuff that's not that. And I really, and I, I really value all the ways that this is not that, <laughs> you know, any one of those songs, um, you know, you could take two or three of the songs from this record and put them on a record like Electro Pura and I would love them. But what, yeah, you know, okay. because it's the variety, you know, it's, it's sort of, it starts to become samey in a way that it hadn't been before. Where, you know, it, even though I love them as a rock band, I love them as a rock band with all this variety where you would have a melodic, quiet, droney song and then you would have, you know, a Jimi Hendrix feedback freak out. And then, you know, and that kind of multifacetedness didn't I just didn't hear that on this record. It just kind of sounded like this one place that they just stayed for the whole double huh. disc thing. I think of it as a volume that they stayed at, but I feel like there really are a lot of place, different places in there. And I guess one of the things that I like about it, and it's funny, you said this was one of the things you didn't like about uh, Fake Book, uh, is that it is a, it's a mood record, that it is consistent in that it ha- it's like you you put it on and you're in one space for the entirety kind of of the record. Um, and that, that is something that I like. You know, I do have like a pile of like late night records that I like that are like, you know, hanging out in a, you know, certain space and that that, you know, this one f- f- fits the bill for that for me in a big way. Um, I mean, I'm loath to move on to the next one. Um, but <laughs> We're going to fight my, on my this one. For the next one. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my, I mean, I've got. I've got pages of notes and notes, as you can see, but my notes for the next part are, <laughs> um, we've, just lost, we've just lost Jeffrey Lewis. No, um, my notes for the next one were a bit more of the same. I mean, this is sort I, I would expect a lot of bands to have an accessible album occasionally, but then follow it and follow it with another accessible album. I found that, I thought that by this point, Yola Tango were going to go back to something else go back to a noise, go back to some droning or whatnot. And then we got Summer's Sun. And I'm really sorry. My experience of Summer's Sun was at the end of it, I went, meh, <laughs> and then moved on to better things. Um, maybe it's because I was listening to them back to back to back to back to back. But I quite liked that. I, I, I enjoyed And Then Nothing Turned Inside Out. And Summer's Sun left no mark on me whatsoever. Um, one of the one of the J's in this room is going to agree with me. One of them is going to think I'm a monster. Um, ben, help me yes. out here. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. I I agree. You know, at the time when Summer Sun came out, it was sort of like, are they ever going to be noisy again? What, have we lost that Yola Tango? Because it it did seem like, um, you know, they they might have just been veering away, as we would discover that it came, you know, roaring back on subsequent albums, but. You know, I think they were kind of moving. It felt almost like they were kind of moving in slow motion in this period. Um, you know, actually in between, um, in between, and then nothing turned itself inside out. And Summer Sun, um, they did uh, something called the Sounds of the Sounds of Science, which, w- which was, uh, yeah, go ahead. A real, which is a really Jesse, important one to me, actually, and that to yeah. me is kind of the piece that kind of makes all of this music not loungy in a way it you know it's it's you know uh under soundtracks to uh jean pen uh underwater documentaries from the 40s 50s 60s 70s um and it's this you know it's not improvised but it's you know it, it's extremely soundtracky and this was actually it's funny that you know like I said, I can hear the heart beating in this one, and and then nothing were the two ones that were my first, the first two that I listened to over and over and over again. And I'm pretty sure this was the first one that I bought 
new, like the day it came out kind of thing, which marks me as a much younger Yola Tango fan and all of this. But this was real. That was really the bridge album, like from kind of like jam world into Yola Tango world that they could for me that they were able to create these enormous spaces and and places that you just hang out inside that weren't about a song or weren't about like a flashy guitar solo they were just atmospheres um and that to me completely informs how i think of the two albums on on either side of that yeah no it is interesting i mean if if they were kind of thinking atmospherically and like you know how do we make a, a soundtrack to an underwater you know series of underwater films it's like stevie wonder with the uh, you know journey of the secret life of plants um so they're 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 dealing with these kind of ambient sound beds and i guess that does end up informing summer sun where uh where it's all just you know very dreamy and moody but you know the 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 bits that come out of it uh i still love um like little eyes or season of the shark um you know some of some of georgia's uh vocal work on this is fantastic her voice really suits that kind of mood, I think. Um, so, yeah, uh, I can understand absolutely why Jeffrey would call this the boring one, though. Well, it's funny. When I <laughs> called it the boring, I went in that comic book, that little comic strip that I drew that you're talking about, where I say I own every Yola Tango album except for the boring one. It was kind of like a little funny joke because I didn't name it by name, but I just figured like Yola Tango fans would know which one I was talking about. <laughs> um, but at that time, I didn't own Summer Sun. And, you know, your point, I, I'm disqualifying myself. You're going to boot me off of this podcast right now because I actually I realize I'm not a com- I don't have a complete collection because I've never owned the sounds of the sounds of science. And the reason I've just for, I forgot about the existence of that record, because this was in the period when I stopped buying Yola Tango records because I was so uh, turned off by the quietness. I was like, oh, I don't need to buy this soundtrack, but I do need to buy it. I'm real. Oh, my God. I'm, there's a Yola Tango record that I don't have. What's what's going on? You reminded me that I don't have that one. But, you know, years later, when I did finally, at a certain point, I was like, you know what? This is stupid of me not to have Summer Sun. I, you know, I have every other Yola Tango record. Why do I not have that one? And when I finally got my hands on a copy just a few years ago, you know, I like it. It is not nearly as bad as I thought it was. It's not nearly as bad as uh, Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. <laughs> no, I, I've really been enjoying that record. And actually, you know what? I think the format might have something to do with it because I have nothing turned itself inside out. I bought this when it came out and it's on vinyl. It's a double vinyl and summer sun I have on CD. And you know, when you can just put a CD on and listen to the whole, whatever it is, 70, 80 minutes of it through as a, as a listening experience and you don't have to get up and flip the sides four times to hear more of the same. I feel like it makes sense at that. You know, those are albums that maybe make more sense as a CD and less sense to own as a, a double vinyl. That might be part of my experience of it. I, I think there is a point to that. We discussed in the previous episode, uh, on the Bowie episode, about the art of having side one and side two. But that only really works when it's a sub-60-minute album and it's two sides, and the track list has been laid out specifically to have the two sides. When you've got four sides and none of them are particularly that long to make it a 75-minute or whatever album, there is that constant flipping, that constant turning over that you hold on to it as a vinyl person, but sometimes it is a bit annoying. Um, so you're going to say something to, start to add about this period. So this is when, when I moved to New York and started seeing Yola Tango a lot because they are, you know, you know, they lived in Hoboken. They're basically a New York band and I could see them every 
three or four months in that period and, and did. And every single time I went to go see them, it was a com- completely different show. Like one of them was the Sounds of Science show that su- that spring. And then that summer I saw them in um, Prospect Park where they debuted a bunch of what became Summer Sun, but but also within the context of a live show with, you know, all these other things going, you know, with all, you know, the, the noisy, jammier aspects of them happening at the same time. So it felt to me at the time, and this, again, this is just me sort of coming into the, the, the New York music world at that moment, that there was, that they, the, it didn't feel like they were stagnant, you know, in the Summer Sun thing. You know, in just, you know, they were only playing this one kind of drowsy, sleepy music. And I do I totally see that criticism of this record. But, you know, it sort of hit me hit me at the right moment. And another companion to this to this record is the Great Today is the Day EP, which, Jeffrey, I would recommend picking up if you missed that one as well, because that because that that, you know, that rocks pretty hard. That's a that's the the, the rock and companion to, to Summer Sun and, you know full-on noise snarl on uh outsmartner and uh yeah great stuff and and even but even the quiet stuff you know needle of death is on that right the, yeah. the bird jange cover i'm not against quiet yola tango i love quiet yola tango you know that it's just that variety the weaving of those different elements that like you know that's part of what makes them so awesome and and uh that was this was the sort of loss of that dynamic that i kind of mourned on those two out you know when they were just doing this like long droney thing without as much dynamic i think if let's be still wasn't on summer sun that's the long super jammy one near the end i feel like a lot of i feel like that that might be the decisive thing for a lot of people it's just like this 20 that that one is that sort of is borders for me into that easy listening thing even though it's the sun you know it's guys from like uh other dimensions in music or whatever is still very, you know, I, you know, I like it. I, I think it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, and I freaking love it. I think it's around the same period that the nuclear war, um, oh, release yeah. comes out, yeah, yeah. Love which is love it. Lo- absolutely love it. I love all four versions of it. I mean, it's, uh, there, there, and, um, so, and also those seven we, inches um, they put out as well in that era with the, uh, other dimensions in music. They put out uh, now 2000 and they put out like a, they put, uh, Excalibur. Yeah, they put out two two seven inches that are both just imp- them improvising with other dimensions in music. Speaking of you know, Tingo getting jazzy. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw them play with other dimensions music. Uh, I saw one of the shows that I saw in that era. They were playing at Tramps. Although maybe it was a little earlier, maybe late nineties. And uh, ODM was the opening act, and um, it was yeah, they were definitely like a bad influence on Yola Tango. Probably <laughs> the the free jazz. Uh, quite, although you know, I love. I, I, you know, I, this is all within the context of me thinking they are the greatest indie rock band and loving them to death. And my, you know, my whole music career is just basically ripping off of them as much as possible. And so, you know, all of my criticisms of them are within the context of them being the greatest. So, it's right. But that's it. When, some, when, when you think something's perfect and you love something so much, any blemishes are harder mm-hmm. to take. You know, bands I don't care about that much, they can release a bad album and I go, oh, well, shame. It was nice while it lasted. But if it's a band I hold dear, and I go, ah, oh, that's a shame. Oh, what am I going to do now? Also, I doubt. Uh, we we also speaking of obscurities and EPs and B sides. Their cover of "Be Thankful for What You Got" is one of my all-time oh, yeah. favorite Yola Tango recordings. I mean, if I was putting together like a little best of, if I was trying to introduce somebody to Yola Tango and making a little mix CD of like the best forty-five minutes worth of Yola Tango, that track would probably be on there. I there. The, that 
the sound that they get on that, the fact that the three of them pull off that cover and the, the harmonies and the, the way the drums have that little snapback reverb sound, whatever they did to make that is just impeccable. I Their recording of Be Thankful For What You Got is one of the great Yola Tango and, and recordings. What's, and what's that on again? Is that on the Little Honda EP? It is. It is on the Little Honda EP. My God, yeah. So, yeah, I, before we go cascading fo- further into the 21st century, I didn't want to leave that nugget behind because that, that's, that's an important Thank one you. in my book. Um, unless anyone's got anything else to say about Summer Sun, Ben, you know what? <laughs> yes. I am not afraid of you, and I will beat your ass. Will you? Is that a no. threat? Okay. <laughs> um, that's, as, never- that's as threatening as I get. <laughs> ben, um, so I'm not afraid of you, and I will beat, you ass. Uh, beat your ass. Um, after listening to Summer Sun, I put this on, and what? I was there going, oh my God, the first track's amazing. Two tracks, yeah. three tracks. This is a banger. They, they've come back, right? Yeah, they come back hard. I mean, the, after Summer Sun, I think a lot of fans were just thinking, well, this is Yola Tango now. And then as soon as you put on this album and you get past the hatchet, I think I'm good kind, boom, we're back. We got, we got the, the feedback. We've got everything that, uh, you know, that... Uh, They've been exploring since the very beginning. It's it's all there. Um, so you know the you have two albums that are that are a bit sleepy. This one, um, this one is uh, it's noisy. You know you get that first noise jam, and then you know it it ends with a with another one. The story of Yola Tango. Um, these are these spelled incorrectly. Tango, right? yeah, spelled incorrectly as an, another kind of inside joke because, as Jesse says in his book. They were used to getting their name misspelled from the beginning, um, and so they they're kind of um, embracing the misspelling uh, um, with that uh, with that song title. The album title, I should say, um, New York sports reference, like Yola Tango itself, which is about you know an anecdote, which I uh, won't explain right now about the the hapless New York Mets. In 1962, I've read it, about this one. Though. I yes. read about this one. It was it, it was easier to. Am I wrong? It was easier to teach the entire team to say "I've got it" in Spanish than to teach the the the, the Spanish speaker English. Well, that's I, w- not I quite wish it. that it. I wish that it worked. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it didn't quite work that way. But uh, it it uh, it uh, involved um, one player using it to inform the other, you know, Spanish speaking player. I've got um, it. I've got it's it. Mine. But then a very large uh, other player, not knowing what the hell he was saying, ramming into him and saying, "What the hell is a yellow tango?" Um, so just, just to clarify have, to English listeners, yes. baseball is like rounders in pajamas. I uh, knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Why do British people always have to make the rounders jokes whenever we talk about baseball? I don't get it. Anyway, uh, to American um, listeners, rounders is like baseball, but you play it at school with with one hand, and it it it. <laughs> And you shout when they're running around the bases. Everyone goes round us, round us, which is which is great, right? You should do that in baseball. In any case, this album title was supposedly. I'll pass was... the suggestion along. <laughs> oh, could you? Like, to the American... So, so uh, the uh, Ira and Georgia and James. I mean, you know, they they like the New York teams, including the New York Knicks. That's basketball, and the, and this was apparently what one player was overheard saying to another player, um, and. They just decided to call the album that it has, you know, nothing to do with anything other than perhaps kind of indicating, again, they're just going to sort of wipe the board clean. They're going to start with, you know, a kind of a new sound palette. Um, it, it's a little aggressive in places. Uh, 
And uh, it, but I, I think it's a, you know, a great collection of songs. I mean, you know, Mr. Tough, uh, Beanbag Chair, these are great songs. Um, you know, when James comes back and does, um, does vocals again on Black Flowers, it's like we're right back there with Stockholm Syndrome, just the sound of his voice is just perfect on that. So I think lot, this lots was to the recommend. Year I saw them. Yeah. I've seen them once at All Tomorrow's Parties, and it was two thousand and nine. It was the, they played one of the All Tomorrow's Parties, the first ATP versus the fans, and it was around about here. And I saw. I was, to be honest, I was a bit drunk, um, <laughs> and I saw them in between Daniel Johnston and Sparkle Horse, and I was I was impressed. Um, Two years later, when I went back to ATP, they were playing. I, I didn't go up the stairs to see them. I saw someone else. But it was the first time I was like, oh, this is that band. And I didn't know anything by them. And there was so much other good music going on that weekend that while I was impressed, I'd for I had forgotten about them by the time I'd seen Wilco for the first time, or I'd seen Daniel Johnston for the first time, or Sparkle Horse for the first time, or all of these bands that played, played that time. But yeah, that was when they started to to enter my my sphere uh, a little bit, um, Jeffrey. I know your opinion. I I know your opinions on then nothing turned inside out and the the fact that you quite like Summer Sun now. I'm I'm I am afraid of you and I won't beat your ass. Uh, where are you on this? No, this is it's great. It's like everybody, you know. This is you know they're back. They're you know when you. When you put out two quiet albums and then you put out an album where the first, what is it, like 10 minutes long of uh, just slamming feedback. And um, the story of Yola Tango is one of their great songs. That song as a live song is like, it just does not get any better than that. It's just so devastatingly awesome. And when I saw them play that live, like I was saying, the show that I saw was, I think it was 2008 at South by Southwest in, in Austin, Texas. And they played that one live and I was like, I'm pretty sure, yeah, that like, it's just undeniable. Like it doesn't get any greater than this. And um, uh, the room got heavy on this record. I think deserves special mention as just for awesomeness. It's top notch Yola Tango, um, the, the way that organ comes in. Now, one thing that I would like to also mention, and maybe Jesse has a deeper knowledge of this, a big part, what, what, okay, James McNew becomes part of the band. They start working with Roger Mutno. You have the golden era. We're forgetting the very important member of the band who joins and then becomes a little less important, the ace tone organ. Oh, yeah. When they start playing with that organ and that becomes part of the band for those years, that is part of what is so awesome about that era of Yola Tango. And then they start now they start having other keyboards on stage. Now there's like three or four different keyboards on stage. And I was playing Season of the Shark on jazzy keyboard piano, whatever. And it's like that starts to for me, that's a little bit of losing the plot of the abrasive sound abrasive and melodic because the way that they do that organ on a lot of songs is very melodic and atmospheric but just thinking of uh the room got heavy where there's those those chords that bah, 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 like that kind of really dynamic um i don't know what kind of pedals they put that organ through but that particular organ that was part of their sound a very big part of their sound in those years 
is maybe just as definitive as James McNew joining the band and Roger Moutinot becoming producer. There's a nice through line if you like follow those organ songs. So like Sudden Organ from Painful, that was like one of the, you know, that that was an ace tone, ace tone organ. And, and, you know, those are the songs that when they perform them live, Ira just gets so into it. You know, you know, he's going to eventually start playing it with his elbow. That's all. That's, that's just, you know, bound to happen much like, you know, John Lennon did at, you know, at the Shea Stadium concert where he started using his elbow. Um, so, you know, those those kind of organ freakouts are just some of the most memorable moments I have for the band. Yeah. I mean, and that's re- and that's really the beginning, like, you know, of them moving away from that, just being a guitar trio thing, just finding these different tools that they can use and and still be themselves and still, you know, be kind of at that line of primitive but also knowing what they're doing you know the organ is you know just that the ace tone is just the perfect sound for that yeah. i've started to get the feeling as we go through this that yoda tango with all the threads and the things that come in and, and go out it, it's like watching something like the wire or the sopranos it's this it's this multi-series characters and the character might be um the organ for a few al- a few albums which takes its own place and then sort of disappears elsewhere or it might be these sort of wig outs that disappear and then come back in season five it seems planned and well written that's a weird analogy and you can, you well, can dismiss me well w- well written well written yes planned almost certainly not but yeah um I mean, yeah, the, the characters coming in. Another thing that I'll, I'll throw in here is the, the, the great 2001 dump album, that skinny motherfucker with the high voice, which is James's uh, album of Prince covers, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, I think officially deleted from the Shrimper catalog now, but I'm not totally sure of the legal standing of it, but um, almost certainly not on a streaming service near you, but but absolutely worth tracking down however you can. Well, it, yeah, interesting that you mentioned Dump, uh, James Mc, that's the James McNew sort of side project uh, other thing. You don't really, as far as I'm aware, now you might know more about this, it, there is no Ira Kaplan solo thing. There's no Georgia Hubley. So There's it, a Georgia, uh, little, little Black Egg is Georgia's solo atmospheric guitar thing. She put out, the Egon Records put out a, a, an LP. Of, of of her stuff a couple years oh, ago. I, I gotta get it because I I was just thinking that's like part of the interesting, you know, unlike say the Grateful Dead or other band like you you they don't really have well you know there's Dump but then you don't they're not like they're 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 very dedicated to Yola Tango rather than yeah, having yeah. like splintering off into having all their own solo things. Right, right, and you know, and sometimes Dump is even just well. Is, hasn't been this for a while. I take that back. They did this on a, on one of the free will, on one of the tours where dump is sometimes just James back by Georgia and Ira, <laughs> um, sort of didn't, underscoring your didn't point. They do, <laughs> didn't they do the uh, the Wheel of Fortune tour where where uh, they had they had the wheel and just every night you might get something new. Yeah, and one of the one of the things that it might land on if you spun the wheel was it's a dump show and so now we're backing up james or a, du- a dump so, a dump yeah. set followed by a know, dump set okay well because right. then yeah. then they would play a second set inevitably sort of recovering in case you know the first you know in case a crowd full of yola tango fans suddenly got a dump set that they weren't ex- yeah. but to me that's a I, I never sh- saw those. I, I saw a couple and i never got a dump set <laughs> oh, i yeah. am i'm still bummed about that nor did i get the sign did the seinfeld table read that was the other option that was the famous one yeah 
Right. So one of the one of the options was was that they would just read the script of a of a sitcom. And so, the, you know, this became this notorious show where they start doing the the read of a Seinfeld episode. Was it was it uh, Chicago? I think, I think. Oh, yeah. The Chinese restaurant okay. episode of Seinfeld. Right. right. And then people are laughing and they're like, oh, wait, they're they're actually going to do this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> like they couldn't believe it was actually happening. Do they get any music as well? Or is that literally well, they, it? Oh, yeah, no, in the oh, second no. set? Yeah. Uh, After that, they would, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, and speak, you know, this is probably, is Condo Fucks the next record in the chronology? Where where are we? Yes. Um, Because this also is kind of like, uh, it speaks to that. It's like, well, here's their side project band, but it's still just the three of that. It's like, it's not like a side, this is not like one of their side. It's like, here's here's one of our spinoff side projects, but it's still all three of us. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is probably a good time to move on to Condo Fucks and Fuckbook. Um, oh, earlier on, maybe in this episode, the last episode, I, I told people how excited I got uh, when I listened to this. Well, I'm from a town or a city called Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton is a shithole. For those who are not aware of it, it's like a Detroit, but without anything. It was literally the inspiration for Mordor in the Lord of the Rings trilogy um, <laughs> back in the day. But Slade are a band from Wolverhampton. Naughty Holder from Slade was this comedy, comedy glam rock guy who I dismissed when I was a kid. But as you get older, being from Wolverhampton, like how Nick had to say so-and-so's from Hull, I now have a special place in my heart for anything Slade. And uh, Goodbye to Jane came on, and I was so fucking happy that somebody, this obscure hipster um, artist artist, had chosen to cover not even the popular Slade songs, but a great banging Slade song. Ah, made I'm made up, made up. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't know who Slade are, they were they were people think Bowie was the big or T Rex. Uh, Mark Bowden was the most successful glam rock things in the UK. In the 1970s, it was Slade. They had more top 10 singles than any other artist. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that song, like like Jeffrey was saying, you know, a lot of the, pretty much everything they do is with a purpose. And, you know, that one was to to say goodbye to Magnetic Field, which was the, the bar that the condo, that, you know, that condo fucks gig happened because this bar that they hung out at frequently was closing down, which is a tiny, tiny bar. And they couldn't, really play a going away party at that bar under the name Yola Tango. So they played as the condo fucks and the uh, rehearsal became the album and it became a concept that they, they continue doing. There've been a condo half dozen condo fuck shows since then. And kind of a whole, whole new repertoire of kind of like, it's, you know, garagey, noisy, whatever. Any more Slade songs? No, no more, no more Slade tunes. Some, some Henry Mancini, some, you know, pretty varied. No Slade. Did you see the Condo Fox show at Cake Shop? I missed Cake Shop. I was, I was at the Magnetic Field one. I was at a few others, but yeah. No, I was at that one. I was at the Cake Shop one when Gaylord sang with him. Yes. <laughs> He's been to so many, he can't remember. <laughs> My little insight into the condo fucks, and um, but I I went on tour in uh, around that era, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I did a tour where I was opening up for Super Furry Animals, 
And the other support band on that tour was Times New Viking. And Times New Viking was a band that was on Matador Records at that time. And they had kind of started this trend of making very noisy lo-fi recordings uh, as opposed to the kind of slick, nice sounding mid-2000s Bell and Sebastian style indie rock. The Times New Viking, you know, their albums sound like shit and they're, you know, they're like recorded on a boombox and they're very lo-fi. And I was just totally burning with jealousy to be, you know, and they were great to hang out with. I loved hanging out with Time. Uh, that whole tour, me and the Times New Viking folks just had a fun time. And I was just burning with jealousy that they had gotten to tour as the opening act for Yola Tengo, which is like my big unfulfilled life dream. I'm like, you know, <laughs> what, you know, but I, I would love very much to do that. So I, I just sort of got to vicariously hear Times New Viking stories about being on tour with Yola Tengo and times that they would get on stage together. And, and um, then, lo and behold, Yola Tengo puts out this album that sounds like shit. And, I, I, and I'm like, <laughs> I bet... My suspicion is that being on tour with Times New Viking and seeing how much fun Times New Viking were having and how they were cranking out these lo-fi recordings inspired Yola Tango to be like, why are we spending all this time and money to make these fancy record? You know, let's just do that Times New Viking thing. So I don't know if I'm accurate in the chronology of this, but I believe that um, the Condo Fucks album was inspired by Times New Viking and the fact that they had gone on tour with Yola Tango around that. Yeah, time. or maybe at least given them the confidence to put out the rehearsal recording that James made to recognize that, hey, this, this lo-fi practice tape actually sounds awesome and we should do something with it. Yeah, I mean, but that, you know, like like we keep saying, Yola Tango, they they, they, they do change with the times in that, you know, there is the Indie part. Like I was saying, they do get loungy. They do get into the shit gaze stuff in, in 2008. You know, it is, it is it is a thing where they do reflect the music world that's going on around them. They are, you know, they, as much as they do exist in this very little hermetic, you know, Hoboken bubble of the three of them and, you know, at odds with the rest of the world, there is this aspect of them that really does reflect what they're listening to. And they really, you know, you know, if you listen, if you listen hard enough, there's sort of a trip hop, you tango phase too. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Jeff, Jeffrey's, uh, Jeffrey's story about times new Viking actually just, I'm just remembering now what one, Hanukkah show that I went to at Maxwell's, I guess it would have been Hanukkah 2007, um, Times New Viking was was like the surprise opener. And so that that must have been, yeah, that era when they were playing together. And yeah, I could totally see them. At, at the time, I remember, you know, Times New Viking was the, you know, the exciting new band that Matador, uh, you know, had in their roster. And so um, I speaking of Matador, though, I got to say, they must, you know, have total faith in Yola Tango to be, to be able to say, yes, put out your rehearsal <laughs> tape under this other name as a, as a legitimate Matador release, uh, a band, the whole idea started as just this kind of weird in joke that was, you know, from a, a list of fake bands that showed up on the liner notes of a previous album. And then they kind of inhabit this fake band persona, uh, you know, as Jesse was saying to, to say goodbye to this, uh, to this nightclub and yeah the rehearsal for that is now the next album even if it doesn't carry the yola tango name i mean matador obviously really loved them too uh, but of course they wouldn't have had to foot much of a bill for that right i mean if you're like yeah. well we're gonna put out this record what's it gonna cost us to do this weird thing about five cents okay let's do it 
And uh, Yola Tango did go on to cover uh, Time's New Book, and there's a, except very, very quietly, there's a beautiful version that they do of uh, Move to California um, that Georgia sings that was a B-side in the Fade era. Um, yeah. Well, when we were talking earlier about how Yola Tango brilliantly plans their special guests and their, their covers and everything had to reason behind it, I don't know if this – I may be giving them too much credit for their genius – um, but when Times New Viking told me that one of the things that they did on the Yola Tango tour, they got on stage with Yola Tango at one point and did a cover of the Fugs song. Uh, I think it was either Frenzy or Group Grope. Uh, maybe it was Group Grope. And I, w- I remember telling uh, Adam from Times New Viking, I was like, oh man, what a dream. That would be my absolute dream to cover a Fugs song on stage with Yola Tango. And then years later, when Yola, when I actually got the chance to go on stage with Yola Tango, it was because they were having me on stage to do this Fugs song with Peter Stample. And I was like, did that story get back to them? And they specifically were like, this is when we get to give Jeffrey his dream of doing a Fugs song on stage. Because it was like too much to be a coincidence. I'm like, the reasons that they have behind everything, I might be giving them too much credit for being such uber geniuses, but it was all a little too suspiciously perfect. <laughs> okay. That, that is probably That's a great. good point to move on to what would be next would be popular songs. Yeah. That's my notes are all over the place. Um, which is what year was this, Ben? Where are we now? 2000, 2009 is where we are right now. Oh, yeah. This was when so, I... Same, same year. Same year as Fuckbook came out, but this was, you know, came out later in the year and let us know that they were still Yola Tango. They were just suddenly going to be condo fucks from now on. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it was... Uh, Came out in 09 and um, it's very, it's an interesting album. I mean, I think of it as having a split personality because, uh, you know, the first nine tracks are this kind of, um, you know, poppy melodic thing, uh, you know, as you might expect from an album called Popular Songs. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's some some great ones on there that I like, you know, like Nothing to Hide or Periodically Double or Triple. But then the last three tracks, it's like, you know, we're in the into the jam territory again. And, you know, this final final uh, rave up with and the glitter is gone. I mean, that that's one where. They just decided, OK, we're going to leave all of that stuff for, you know, these last three tracks. And it's OK if it, it really has nothing to do with those first nine songs. So a bit I, of a split. Personality I mean, this is the thing, like, going back to something I said earlier, I can't remember which album it was about how. It's almost like they're trying to replicate a live experience. A lot of bands leave those jams and those 10-minute freakouts for the show. They might have the occasional long song, but they don't really just go off on one uh, for 10, 15 minutes. But Yola Tango seem to be comfortable doing that. And is it because their live shows are so important to fans and to them that it is a way of sort of bringing that to disc. Well, I was going to say that my feelings about popular songs and I'm not afraid of you are that for me, those both came after I had started seeing a lot of them at Hanukkah and seen a lot of their Hanukkah shows. And both of those albums, obviously coming after summer sun and, and sort of that atmospheric period did feel like they were replications of these, these they're not replications, but they did feel like, um, you know, they, they, they reflected the, the eclecticism of the live show. And and this one, uh, popular songs, you know, Yola Tango 
sets do end with usually two or three big guitar jams but there's there are certainly nights where they also open <laughs> with a with a big guitar jam or you know so yeah. both of the, both of these albums really to me very much get at kind of like the the, the you know the, the mini moods of yola tango as they say and and new ones you know that's kind of the thing it's like well what what, what how are they going to sound on the new record that they've never sounded before you know like what what's the what what are the outlier tracks like by twos like there's nothing else really in the Olatango world to me that sounds like by twos you know I, um, I think you've just hit on something i'm sorry i'm just gonna jump in i think yeah. you just hit on something that sums up probably you guys and the fans of yola tango most people have a band and they love that band and they're thinking ah oh, i want more of the same and you, you just went, I wonder what they're going to do that's different that they've never done before. Yeah. Well, it's fun. new ways to be yourself. Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Yola Tango, Grateful Dead, you know, like all like all these artists I obsess over are like, that's that's why <laughs> that they're not the same. Like, that's, you know, that's the thing. Although that, that this reminds me, uh, another uh, long-term favorite artist of mine that might be in Jesse's... Uh, pantheon as well or, or not is jonathan richmond and there's a there's a hilarious jonathan richmond quote on one of his records where he says something i forget which album it is but in the liner notes he says you know sometimes an artist makes an album that is so different from what they've done before that it requires some extra explanation this is not one of those records it pretty much sounds like every other record i've made if you like those you'll probably like this one <laughs> yeah <laughs> um Popular, yeah, Jeffrey. What what are your thoughts on popular songs? Uh, you know, at this point, Yola Tango for me become a live band, and I be uh, my my love of them is like as a live band, and these albums that they're putting out um are not they're not that vital to me. Like I keep buying them and I keep owning them just because they're Yola Tango, but. They are not. If I was making a best of Yola Tango compilation for somebody, <clears throat> I don't think there's anything on here that I would put on that. Um, it's nice, you know. I like. I I tend towards the noisy, jammy part at the end, particularly. That's that's what I'll put on um, because I again I, I ended up with this one on vinyl, so it's like a four side situation for me. So I like to put on that final side, particularly if I pull this album off the shelf. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't have a very, uh, intensely nuanced experience of this record. It's just like, uh, but at this point I no longer, they're no longer going to gain me or lose me. I'm just in for life. I'm just buying everything they do and going to see them every chance I get. Okay. Um, is, so if the, one of your saving graces of this album, no, not saving graces. If one of the highlights for you of this album was that sort of that last side, the the jamming side, the extended side. Um, moving into, say, Fade, Fade seemed to be the same album, but without that, right? They, they sort uh, of... Yeah, they're back to single disc mode. Is that, does, that, does, that, does that mark a good thing for you, Jeffrey? <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to admit, Fade, I, I gave it to my brother. I, I was like, you know, I'm not going to listen to this album much. Here, you take it. Uh, because again, you know, and I might come back to, you know, I'll probably end up um, 
getting a copy at some point and being like, you know what, like Summer Sun, I actually really like this record. I don't know why I went years without, you know, thinking that this is one I wouldn't like. I'm just, you know, I like Yoa Tango as a rock band. They are a, to me, they are one of the all-time great rock bands. And all this other stuff that they do that's kind of like them trying to not be a rock band just to like try to buck people's expectations. I can understand it as an artist. Um, you don't want to get pigeonholed and you want to try to push yourself into, can I write a classic song? Can I write, you know, a jazzy song? Can I, you know, I, I certainly, I, I wouldn't want them to be bored. I wouldn't want them to feel like they have to do the same thing over and over again. Uh, I want them to do whatever they feel like doing because I'm a fan of them and wh where their thought process is. But, uh, you know, I like rock and roll and I'm, I love Yola Tango as a rock band and these albums of theirs that don't have any rock and roll on them are just not as interesting to me. Uh, ben, um, going through the evolution of Yola Tango and getting, moving from popular songs to Fade, which was one of their shortest albums, like it's pretty mm -hmm. tight. Um, is, are they becoming a legacy act at this point for you, or are they still doing uh, something? Yeah, they're still doing something, I would say. I, I can't imagine them ever being a legacy act. That just doesn't sound like Gilatengo. But, I mean, they're, they're always going to bring something new to the table. I mean, in a way, this album was, you know, a bit of a return to the, you know, the more reflective albums like Summer Sun. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, this, this is the first one that, since Painful, that did not have Roger Mutno as the as the producer. So now they've got, so yes, so so now they have John McIntyre from uh, Tortoise and the Sea and Cake, and um, you know that I think that he fits this sound that they were going for, which was uh, kind of a wash of sound. And uh, when that wash of sound is is really working, I really like it. And and a song like Ohm, for instance, which is one that they immediately worked into their live repertoire and, and they play quite a bit. Um, I think it's sort of the best example of that. Um, but you know, there, there are some very pretty songs on here. I mean, I really like, um, I'll be around and Cornelia and Jane. I mean, they're just pretty, you know, again, not, not again, not exploring the noisy side of things, but, um, but, uh, you know, they've got horns and string arrangements. That's something new. They're trying. That's the thing. I mean, they, they had horns on their very first single, The River of Water. And then they maybe they thought, oh, let's not try horns again. But now we get horns and strings. And so, you know, they're even at this stage in their career, they're still trying new things. They said that thing that sometimes we can be overly possessive of. We like I like I like you at this. And the band goes, yeah, but we want to do something else. Go, no, 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 this is what I like. <laughs> and. There are other people, maybe, I don't know, Jesse, where are you on this period? I mean, on Fade? Oh, on fade. Um, to me, the thing that I like about Fade is, like I said, the previous two felt very eclectic to me, like, you know, kind of, you know, reflecting reflecting the ups and downs of the live shows. I like, you know, Fade is, is one that, to me, it feels coherent, like it feels like one vibe to me, and even though it's not, even though it's not like, you know, everything is all one tempo or one loud or quiet or whatever, there's just something to me that connects all these songs. Maybe maybe it is maybe it is John McIntyre's production. Maybe it's, you know, I, I'm not even totally sure what, what that unifying quality is. Um, but, you know, I just, there's... There is there is something stylized sometimes about Yola Tango's songwriting. Like, you know, they 
start a song and it's like, oh, that's a Yola Tango Jangle song or a Yola Tango ballad. You know, that is that is part of that. And, and in a lot of ways, Fade fade is that, you know, these, these are Yola Tango songs, but I find them to be all mature and interesting with like, you know, cool, cool, cool turns. Uh, I love just I love the sound of Before We Run, just the the the, the way yeah, just the, the way the album feels. I don't know. It just feels like a, yeah. a nice, beautiful little yeah. pop album. And I'm and, not sure to me it felt like a Yoda Tango album, and, but I don't really know what that should be. And Ohm, uh, the opener, uh, really has become very much kind of like one of those sort of staple live jam set closers that you know that crowd pleasers that that people seem to know that you know that I. See getting quoted, you know, you know. I, I imagine there's probably it turns up, and I must imagine it turns up in high school yearbooks, that kind of that kind of thing, you know, like that that you know, big, big identifiable song about mortality. Yeah, I, I, I'm into Ohm. I, I like Ohm. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll uh, what you know, once again, I don't want to sound like I'm too down on on them in this, <laughs> at that moment, but that's that's a hot track. Um, okay. Um, what I'm going to say before we move on is um, I like a cover version. Um, some of my favorite bands in the early 90s when I was growing up did lots of cover versions. A band called Carter USM would have cover versions on all their B-sides. We've had an album, two albums, one with the real name, one with a different name, of cover versions. And then we've got stuff like that there, which is... Ben, is this another album of cover versions? Well, generally, I mean, it, it, it definitely follows the pattern of, of fake book from way back in 1990. I mean, here they are in 2015 at this point, kind of doing what they did 25 years before that um, with fake book where, you know, they they just love kind of paying homage to all of their many eclectic influences and and trying to put their own stamp on songs and also um reinterpreting their own catalog and just like they did with fake books. So, you know, this time we get uh, the Ballad of Red Buckets from Electra Pura. We get a new version of that and deeper into movies from um, I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One. And uh, there's another connection to fake book. Dave Schramm is back. So Dave Schramm was on early on, then he shows up again on fake book. And now now here Dave Schramm is again. And so whenever they want He's that kind guy. of... Um, <laughs> Well, he's he's good for that kind of the country rock sound, I think. I mean, which which again they do on on some tracks here, and so it certainly fits well. And yeah, they it was I, I enjoyed seeing them working as a unit um, in concert as well during this period where it's sort of the four piece versus the three piece, um, and uh, getting that you know the extra guitar sound that he that he provides. And you know, if they want to do if they want to do some uh, you know uh, a song like I'm so lonesome I could cry. That you know by Hank Williams. Although they're kind of doing it based on the Al Green cover of the Hank Williams song. I mean, they're always like just poking through their record collection and finding. Oh well, maybe we can you know do this, but you know not the not the thing that people expect. It's always even when they're doing covers, it's it's not anything you could really predict. Although I would say on this, um, one thing I found from this album was the one song I thought they didn't do anything with, as in opposed to sort of put their own stamp on was also the song that had one of the greatest music videos I've seen in the last 10 years. I think I know which one which you're is, talking is about. From, which is the cure Friday. I mean, look, yeah. the, the, the song, the cover version is quite pedestrian in terms of they don't, it's good. And, and I, 
I've got a shocking, I've got a I, I shocking, con- shocking confession to make. I have never heard the original Cure version of that song. The Cure, totally not on my radar. Right. Never, never, not my thing. <laughs> never, so that was my introduction to that song. It's like, oh, I kind of like this very song. Similar. <laughs> I bet, I bet, I like George's version better. <laughs> Promise you. It's lovely, but. There's not much difference in it. Georgia. (laughs) Like, we dismissed that one. We're going to slight tangent. We dismissed the Cure version, Cure Friday I'm in Love, because it was like Poppy Cure. But in terms of the two different songs. I have have to say, so it, that cover song sort of shocked me a little bit. It's like, Yola Tango is covering the Cure? Like, it was, there was a little bit of an eye raise for me about that. Like, there's not much that they do that's like, what? And that was, there was a little bit of that. For, and there is this thing about them that they, there is something so, I mean, they do, they obviously they love the kinks and they, there's a lot of British music that they cover, but there is something very American indie rock about them where there is like a split in the family tree kind of in the late seventies, early eighties. And Yola Tango are very much on the American side of that. And the, 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 the yeah, the cure it threw me for a loop. <laughs> um, but amazing I, video, an amazing yeah, video. great video. <laughs> um, but man, I love stuff like that. There, uh, another similarity with Fake Book, uh, same producer engineer Gene Holder of the DBs. Um, yeah, but uh, James playing upright bass on stuff like that there, which is which gives it a really a different texture and a different feel than than Fake Book. There's this heavy, this kind of this heaviness that I find on um, stuff like that there. That Fake Book feels a little more carefree. And that could be the difference between, you know, that their ages in recording them and certainly a lot more, a lot more life lived on stuff like that there. But I do find, you know, uh, a heaviness in stuff yeah. like that there, just especially okay. listening to it in, in, in comparison with fake book. Um, Jeffrey, I mean, you've had, a, you've done a couple of uh, homage albums yourself. Um, Crass, uh, for example, uh, uh, an album of Crass songs uh, and The Fall as well. You've done, you've done stuff like this yourself. Um, this is uh, Yoda Tango coming back and, and showing people their influences. Um, do you like this sort of thing when you're listening to it? I like this quite a lot, actually. Um, it, which, you you know, although I claim that I don't like their quieter albums, I'm trying to, just in, over the course of this conversation, I'm kind of realizing that maybe what I part of what I don't like about the albums I don't like is there's a certain coldness there's a certain electronic coldness to those records where this album is very warm and like very intimate and personable and even though you know it's not a rock album I love it as like I'm getting to hear my favorite band Yola Tango playing you know just sort of relaxing and playing this like relaxed acoustic set of stuff and the uh, what you know when they pull out stuff like the Ballad of Red Buckets and um, deeper into movies, those are great tracks that I'm so happy to revisit in this. I'm like, of course, Yola Tango is going to be brilliant enough to pull those because those are kind of like sleeper songs in their catalog. Like you know, it's very much worth them pulling pulling that back out and being like, oh, by the way, like newer Yola Tango fans, we have this awesome song, the Ballad of Red Buckets, that like just in case you weren't paying attention, like, and it's awesome. It's awesome to hear it acoustic. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of this record and, um, it's, it's enjoyable. I, I would happily just listen, uh, you know, and obviously they could probably just crank out records like this. You know, they could probably make one of these records every year, like falling off a log. And I, <laughs> I would, 
I would keep checking them out. It's like, it's like hanging out. It's like going to a concert in their living room or something. It's, it's, um, it has a warm intimacy and a, a fun, a lightness, you, you know, even though you say there's some heavy, you know, some there's some emotional heaviness on um, it. Yeah. It doesn't, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm invited by yeah. it rather than yeah. kind of turned off by so it. So it's more like a friend playing. It's more like going around a friend's house and them going, Oh, Oh, have you heard this? And it, it's, it's almost sort of like an after show. It's kind of like, Oh, the concert's over. Let's all go back to Ira and George's place and like <laughs> sit around and they'll pull, pull out acoustic guitars. And like, it's kind of got, you know, it's like, this is, this is like, let's have a party at, let's have a party in their living room for the evening. Yeah. I mean, when I say heavy, I don't mean like, you know, Nick Drake, sad, heavy. I mean, there's this, just, you know, there's, there's wisdom in there, I guess. It's sort of. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not silly. Like they're not. There's no, emuls- there's no emulsified, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, but, it, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, they have an emotional depth and a wisdom and a, uh, there's dimension and depth to it um not a big fan of the cure cover i i feel like it's kind of on the heels of dinosaur jr doing their cure cover which i'm also not a big fan of although that that one does end very well the dinosaur jr one when it just stops <laughs> it just goes go and you go what where's the song go i mean that when i was younger was an amazing an amazing moment um i'm just gonna quickly ask nick something um Nick, in previous podcast episodes, yeah, welcome. You're still here. You can put your beard down. In previous podcast episodes, uh, we talked about how, say, people like David Bowie didn't bring anything to a cover. He just sort of did it. I'm, I'm mostly having my own internal monologue, which is my own personal podcast whilst you all talk. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, I, I spent three episodes of David Bowie disparaging his cover versions because they're boring. And he doesn't do anything interesting with them. And also just because they never seem to do anything as interesting as his own work does. But with Yoda Tango, I really enjoy their covers. Um, and I can't quite put my finger on why. Um, I guess they do do different arrangements for when they cover songs, and that makes it more interesting. But also I think it's something about the general vibe of Yoda Tango, which you, you guys touched on just now, which is, is that idea that there's something sort of kind of quite intimate about it, that you don't, you don't mind whether the cover version is doing something new or not. It's just, they're just, they're indulging you in a way. They're letting you into their little private world. And, and that's something little, something slightly magical about the Yola Tango universe in that way, that you feel like you're being invited into something special when you listen to a record like this. And there, there is. And like, they're audacious. They're, 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 they're audacious in their selection of covers, like an indie rock band cover, you know, they, they'll, you know, they're going to pick stuff where you're like, man, I can't believe they're even trying to cover that. But they and they do it. And it's fantastic. Yeah. And there, it really it is, you know, Jeffrey, I think, hit on something where it's like, you know, these albums, the, the acoustic albums are live in the sense that it's like this is these are musicians in a room making making stuff together. It's not, you know, it's it, it isn't overdubbed. It isn't like an experiment. It, it is in this case, the four of them with Dave Schramm, who's who is an incredible guitarist, who's just just endlessly just he's just so elegant and just inventive and i you know so to to sort of tie back to the hanukkah thing that i guess we were talking about now last episode um is that on you know they do these eight nights of hanukkah where they'll have different guests and and whatever and dave schramm is often one of those guests and it's you know if 
you know, there's a crew of us that goes to multiple nights. It's like, oh man, when's, when, when's the Dave Schram night, you know, looking forward to that. And he is just, and he plays amazingly well, like the noisy stuff too, which he never gets to, they never showcase him like that on the albums. Um, but he's somebody who, who I think really just ties a lot of those, those vibes together in that, in that way. He's, he's, yeah, he, he, he's, you know, in a way, you know, he played on their very first album. He played on Ride the Tiger. He right. played at their very first show. Um, and, I know, you know, he's part of that extended Yola Tango collective brain, even if he hasn't been a part of the band for most of the, you know, 30 years or however long they've been okay. in existence now. Okay. Um, so this is probably a good time. Um, ben, last time you were on the podcast, you referenced Sly and the Family Stones. There's a riot going on. When we were talking about David Bowie's early mid period, strangely, <laughs> you are now back on the pod to reference "There's a riot going on," but this time by Yola Tango. Yeah, so uh, leave it to Yola Tango to call their fifteenth album "There's a Riot Going On." Um, the Sign the Family Stone album was "There's a Riot Going." You know, G O I N apostrophe on. Did Slightly they correct different. the grammar? Did they correct them? Did they go? Oh, that's a bit well, colloquial. <laughs> well, you know, just, just to just to go all music nerd on you, though. I mean that that is actually a line from the song "Riot in Cell Block Number Nine from 1954 by the Robins. That and that's what that's what Sly, Sly and the Family Stone were referencing. So. I would imagine Yola Tango were referencing both Sly and the Family Stone and Friday on Cell Block Number Nine, you know, all in one, just to blow your mind. And and but, since it hasn't come up, I'll throw in the factoid that Ira uh, spent a lot of his time as a copy editor uh, in in his in his oh, early, in go. his early days. So I, I'm sure the uh, the disappearance of the apostrophe and the arrival of the G was not lost on him. I think there's a whole grammar lesson about apostrophes that can be built around these two records. <laughs> So it, yeah, but it it uh, you know regardless of whether you have the G or the apostrophe, it doesn't really have anything at all to do with uh, that sign the Family Stone album. I, you know when they announced that that was the title, I think people were wondering, wait, are they are they going to somehow cover that or do some sort of homage to it? But but uh, it's it's really nothing like that. Um, I, I again I. You can't always read too much into their album titles, but this is this is not a riotous album at all. Um, we're going back to that kind of um, the sound, you know, like you know, back from Night Falls on Hoboken, you know, the the closer from, and then nothing turns itself inside out. It's a return to that kind of just sort of stretching out into the into um, sort of dreamscape, you know, stuff. just. Dreamscape, sure, yeah. And, and what's interesting too, I mean, from what I've read about the production of it, they didn't actually. I guess this is the first album where they didn't actually have a formal producer, um, someone who was the producer of the album. They basically just had uh, James as the engineer, and I guess uh, John McIntyre was back. Uh, you know, who had worked on Fade, he was there to to do the mixing. But this is all just them again in their in their rehearsal space in Hoboken recording themselves. So, you know, again, maybe it was the, the condo fucks experience. I don't know, but they, they just, you know, like to record in that space and make it sound live and organic in that way and sort of let ideas bubble up and then record what happens. And, um, they, you know, they can do that, you know, because they're just so comfortable playing with each other at this point. I think we probably missed it. Which was the album that they recorded with just a microphone in the middle of a room? Oh, that, that would have been what, the con, the condo fucks record. 
Yes. Right. Okay, and, sorry, and, yeah. You know, and I think a lot of this is, you know, this album is very much James's baby. You know, uh, he's he's the, the engineer of the three of them. He's the one who's, you know, comfortable on, on Pro Tools and, and, and playing around with, with that kind of stuff. Um, and I think, you know, Part of it was the maybe the realization about fuckbook. Part of it was maybe you know I think James just getting more comfortable doing that that kind of production and doing it doing it with other artists and just you know realizing that they could do that in their own space in their own time without saying okay we're booking X number of days to record an album and here we're making the tracks and you know I think it really was a, 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 a more of a casual thing over a longer period of time where they would record and. James would edit and and you know bring it back and they would you know sort of work work through things like that. So in that sense, it is kind of you know what's the what do they call it? It's on the back of Let It Be a new a new phase new phase album, new phase Beatles albums. This you know sort of a new phase Yola Tango album like that. Um, and I think that's you know one of the reasons why it is so atmospheric and jammy is because that's you know that's how they made it. Jeffrey. Um- is this rock and roll enough for you? <laughs> you know, I really like this album. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I have a scientific explanation as to why I'm quite happy with this album when I'm, you know, I'm I'm not so psyched about Fade or Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. And um, there, yeah, there maybe it's something about the homemade element of it that puts it more in the, in the category of uh, stuff like that there where it, it has a certain warmth to it and the, the albums that I like a little less or may have a kind of colder feel to them in a certain way. Um, is it like a feeling of ownership when you've got a band who you've loved for so long? Um, even if it's, a, even if they're doing a style you're not particularly overexcited about, if it feels intimate and with a connection, you still feel that they're your band. Whereas if it feels like some cold studio, um, thing that's also not a direction you like. You feel they're going away from you. Well, there's something maybe maybe there's something that feels kind of comfortable about where whereas maybe on uh, nothing turned itself inside out and fade, I get this sense that they're maybe like a little self consciously trying to do something new and trying to like enter a new sonic realm of um, a little more electronicy, a little more. Um, you know, that, that has a little more of a production sheen to it, perhaps. And even though this album is, you know, on the one of their quiet type albums, uh, yeah, there's I I think it's really cool. I, I, I just think it's a, a really good album. I'm, I'm just quite happy with it. I, I don't know. That, that's not the most uh, succinct. It's not the most incisive analysis. It, it's good. I like sometimes it. it sometimes it. it is about the feels, you know, it's yeah. like, you just feel it whether or not you can understand or justify why. Um, Nick, I know that you you like this album, right? This is one yeah, no, of I, I love this album. And um, I think I, I do have a scientific explanation why. <laughs> uh, it's basically that, you know, it came off the back of the first time we did the immersion. So we listened to all the records and... and... Um, just, to cl- just to clarify, Jeffrey, Jesse, the immersion, when we say immersion, we're talking about on a Facebook group, on that Facebook group, we go through bands from start to finish, as we talked about in the last episode, and we use the word immersion. Uh, yeah, we just... did like an album a day over, I guess it was three weeks, and it must have been in about 2017 or 18 that we actually did this one. 
Um, but generally, one thing I struggle a little bit with Yoda Tango is because of these sort of big, long albums that they do, uh, that if you take it all in at once, I think as Ewan has tried to do over the last week or so as well, it's very hard to get an individual relationship with each album. And that, I mean, that's often a problem with how we do this, but but um, some some bands, it works a little better than others. But um, not long after we did that, Yoda Tango played Budapest. And because they were touring this album, I listened to this particular album a lot. And then when I went to see them, they played a lot of stuff off this this album. And, and um, She May, She Might is probably one of my favorite Yolo Tango songs. I think it's beautiful. And um, yeah, I, I, I just really get on with this album. But I, but I say I have a scientific explanation for it. It's basically just because I've spent time with this one and I've seen them play it live. And I can't really say that about any of the other albums. So I haven't had the time for those albums to bed in in the same way. Um, you know, I, I can hear the heart beating as one I had on cassette way back in the late 90s. That was the one Yolo Tango album I knew all this time and again i like that one but you know i think these are albums that take time maybe for for you guys who are sort of super fans and see the band play a lot you, they can bed in a little bit quicker because you're seeing them live and you're seeing them in that exciting context but you can't rush over these albums and form an opinion yeah. on them. but this one especially i think is one that really lives as an album like as as a thing that exists as a, a piece of music made made in the studio, not as you know people necessarily playing live. And I think the live versions of these translate in in, in different ways. But the thing, one, some the stuff that I love maybe the most on this record is it's kind of there's like almost like a new kind of Yola Tango noise involving like upright bass, which is you know cuts through. A, uh, I'm trying to remember. What's the name of the sound that the, the above the above the sound uh, is the one that I love that again it sounds like nothing else that they've done and it still to me just sounds sounds like them and it's there's something special about that so, and I guess one other thing that's about this album that I think is sort of part of the bigger picture of the band is that when they started playing this material live this the, the shows actually kind of transformed a little bit they're now a lot of the shows are really kind of segue heavy in a way that again appeals to me as 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 a dead fan um but they really made a very conscious effort to like you know they started playing two set shows and building sets where the songs they're not necessarily like jams between the songs but there are these kind of instrumental linkages that are intentional and and you know basically you know thought through enough to know that they're going to happen um, and that adds to me something really an, another level of, of something special to, to who are, you know, pretty much already my favorite live band. Okay. So when I saw them live and they played the two, they played two sets and the first set, it was so quiet. I, I don't think I've ever seen a band have the balls to play a set that quiet. You know, I mean, I, I love a, a good rock and roll band. I want bands to come out and play loud and, and excite me, but I was just the, the sheer balls of a band that could come on and play a set that quiet. Nobody dared have a conversation during it. <laughs> Everyone was straining to hear them play at the other end of the boat. And then <laughs> it was just magical. And then they went off and they came back on and played a really fucking loud set. And it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, and there's something that that's part of it. There is, I don't know, there is that up against the wall motherfucker kind of aspect to them that they have sometime that I adore because they, they, you know, they, they are, there is something kind of unassuming about the three of them. Um, I remember I saw this show. I, I, the only time in my life I've ever been in Sacramento, California, but I saw Yola Tango in Sacramento and they were doing, um, it was a, a two set show, quiet and loud for, and 
not, I don't know when this, this, this would have been 2014, 2013. They did the whole first set super quiet. And there was, I was up front as I normally am. And there was a guy next to me who had his phone out and he was just standing front row center, filming the whole show, watching it through his phone. And, you know, I don't know if they were annoyed by that. I probably would have been. And then they go away for the set break and he's there the whole set. And they come out for the second set. And I don't remember what they opened with, but it was the noise he said. It, might, it wasn't little Honda, but it was maybe it was past the hatchet. It was something that was just like pin you to the wall in the first three seconds. And this guy was just like, whoosh just like disappeared and it to me it just felt like a direct a direct like oh hello goodbye <laughs> kind of kind of moment <laughs> um i'm going to i'm going to sort of wrap up a little bit um and there's going to be some crappy wrapping up type questions like so for example i want to know your favorite yoda tango moments songs and albums um you can you can tell us concerts as well if you wish um, I'm going to start with you, Jesse. Okay. Favorite, favorite album. Y'all... What favorite album? Favorite song? Uh, favorite moment? Can I? Do I have to do it in that order? No, I'm going to. No, no. Okay, I'm going to start with favorite moment because I don't know the answers to the other two quickly, and I'll think about them as I talk. Um, a million moments, but this is one that I I think of constantly because it was just incredible. Um, one of the Hanukkah nights, 2005. David Mansfield sat in uh who's amazing multi-instrumentalist played with bob dylan in the rolling thunder era and sat in with him for the whole night uh just playing all these beautiful quiet songs and in the middle of it they played a song that i'd never ever heard them do before which is i'll keep it with mine uh the bob dylan song uh with georgia singing uh doing it the the nico arrangement of it and it just i it's just amazing so that's my yeah, that's one of my many, many favorite Yola Tango moments. Favorite song. I I don't know, man. <laughs> um, I'm going to be contrary and I'll pull one out. Tiny Birds. No one's ever going to talk about that one, but I adore that song. It's on, uh, it's on Summer Sun. It's the James McNew song on that album. You know, pulled me through a cold, mopey winter night. I'll, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that kind of thing. And... I can hear the heart beating as one. It, you know, I'm I'm not going to be contrary in there. That's just that's just <laughs> it for me. Thank you. Although I personally find it's a bit too big and jazzy. Um, Nick, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what's your what's your favorite album? Toe tapping. What's your favorite album? Yeah, Nick. Okay, okay. So my favorite album, I'm I'm sorry to say, probably is I can hear the heart beating as one. But again, it's just I'm I'm prepared to say it's just because I've spent the time with it. And um, so I don't feel that that's like a definitive answer. It's just, you know, when you know an album well, it really helps it. <laughs> but it felt like when that album when that album kind of arrived in the UK, I think it was a little bit when Yola Tingo did. I could be wrong. I might just be extrapolating from my own personal experience that this is the universal. But I'd, I'd never really heard of them before. And suddenly there was this band people were talking about in the UK. So around 97 as this really respectful band that bands talked about in hushed tones. So it seems sort of, you know, it gave the album a certain extra edge, made it interesting. And I spent a lot of time listening to that. Um, Jeffrey. Uh, well, uh, Electro Pura, favorite album. Um, favorite song. Um, I guess hard to say, you know, 
I, the story of Yola Tango is, uh, as a live experience is pretty unbeatable. Um, but there's some, you know, there's just too many to really pick. I love Ballad of Red Buckets as a, you know, it was one of the first songs that really blew me away when I first started getting into them, um, on Electro Pura. But I, you know, yeah, Mushroom Cloud of Hiss, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Many favorite songs for different reasons. Uh, favorite moment, also very hard to, to pick because there's just so many brilliant, wonderful moments in live shows. I remember, um, uh, I think it was like Bat, uh, Battery Park, New York City, a uh, free concert that they did on the 4th of July. Um, I was there. That was great. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I was like, okay, it's 4th of July. Um, they're obviously going to play, because you know, there's a song on I Can Hear the Heart Beating as one, We're an American Band. Um, right. So which, which title is, um, you know, a sort of like funny reference to the Grand Funk Railroad song, uh, we're an American band. So it's like, okay, they're probably going to play their song. We're an American band because it's the 4th of July, but instead they open the show with the Grand Funk Railroad, uh, we're an American band, which is like just such a perfect, you, you know, like they've just out, they, you think you know what they're going to be smart enough to do, but then they like outsmart, you know, they're, they're one step ahead of you. And um, there's just so many moments like. Uh, and then followed it with their version of We're an American Band, I believe. Right. And followed it with their version. Yes. Back to back. Yes. Um, and um, I, I, a Hanukkah show at Maxwell's um, when during the era when the Bob Dylan No Direction Home documentary was was coming out and that was like a really big deal and of course they always play songs by jewish songwriters and um instead of doing i forget exactly how they introduced it but maybe somebody was said something like uh how come you never play any leonard cohen songs or something like that and iris said well we're you know i'm not a big fan of leonard cohen but i'm you know we, but we are really big fans of the soup greens and like, you know, those of us in the audience who are big, you know, like me, you know, I, I love 60s garage rock um, and like all the, you know, the Pebbles compilations and Back from the Grave compilations. So I'm like, of course, they're going to play, you know, the um, the the, the, uh, the the like a Rolling Stone in because re- that's on everybody's mind because of the, the Bob Dylan documentary. But they're going to they're, they're going to play the version that this 60s garage rock band, the Soup Greens. So they did the Soup Greens version of Like a Rolling Stone, which is basically Louie Louie with a, with like, and they did, it's basically, it, it, so it was like so such a brilliant like way of flipping expectations. And then I think Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes like got on stage to join them for that song and sang it, um, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, it was just another perfect, you know, you think you know the smart thing they're going to do, but they take it one step you know, they go even smarter with it. And they're just, the, I mean, they, like, like Jesse said, they are very unassuming and they have this kind of like humble attitude, but they, they are the greatest. Like let's like, who is greater than Yala Tango? And they, you know, they dodge the limelight and they, you know, they're not iconic, like Sonic Youth or even like Dinosaur Jr. In that way, they kind of manage to avoid sidestep everybody knowing they're the greatest but those who know know like they're the, they're the greatest i mean who has ever played better live shows who has had more imagination has just been cr- more creative smarter a wider range of 
what they're able to do. It's yeah. So many great moments that prove they're great. And then to this day, after seeing them so many times over so many years, you go see them and you're like, okay, what are they going to do to prove again? That, and you'll see them live and they'll blow you away once again. They'll, they'll up their game constantly. It's just it's phenomenal. Awesome answer. Um, ben, you knew, the, you, you knew the questions were coming, so you've had time to think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking. I've been thinking. Okay, so favorite album. Um, yeah, I, I would be boring and say I can hear the heart um, as probably my favorite, but it really, it depends on the day and my mood. Uh, some days it might be painful. It might be Electra Pura. It might be fake book. Again, you know, that just has a, I have a sentimental attachment to that one just, uh, you know, to this day, 30 years later. And uh, in terms of favorite uh, favorite moments, I mean, yeah, so many concert moments from, you know, being blown away by them back in, you know, New Year's 1996. But um, if I think about like Hanukkah shows and things like that, the, the one that really sticks in my mind as memorable just on a personal level was a show that they played right here in the, uh, Jersey City, where I live. Um, there's this uh, there's this old movie theater that they've converted and they have concerts there. And, uh, and they played it, I remember it was September 2006, because it was just uh, two or three months after uh, our son was born. And we had, we were just sort of like in the house all the time for him, obviously. And this was like our first night out, my wife and me. And my wife sort of, you know, uh, humors my Yola Tango obsession. I occasionally drag her out to shows, but I'm like, okay, listen, you know, your parents can t- t- take care, take care of uh, our, our son just for, for uh, this night. We're, we're going to go out. It's really close. It's super close to where we live. Um, let's just go see the show. And it was just Amazing. It was just like the circumstances and everything. It was, um, Jesse, you were probably at the show too, but like they're like the band's families were all there. It was just this like family show that they were putting on, um, and just like, you know, enjoying each other's presence. And, um, I had said to my wife too, it was like, well, maybe they'll play that song. We really like, did I tell you, you know, which, which, uh, had the, the fake book, nice acoustic version that we loved. And sure enough, you know, they come they come out for, the, you know, a couple of encores on that, I think. But the very last song they played was just Ira alone at the piano doing Did I Tell You? And they don't play that song very often at shows. And it's just it was sort of like they did this just for us. Clearly, you know, this was <laughs> like this moment was for us. And I, so many people have that intimate personal connection with the band. I mean, it's just, you know, well, that um, that that sounds like a perfect, perfect way to wrap up our two episodes of going through, um, well, what was originally just going to be the studio albums, but also now the live experiences and various other things about Yola Tengo. I mean, personally, they're a band I knew of but didn't know. Um, and there are definitely probably four or five albums that are going. I'm going to go back to uh, again and again and again. Um, uh, Elect- Electro Pura and I'm Not Afraid of You and I Will Beat You Ass were the two that really sort of stood out for me. I mean, obviously my favourite moment is the fact that they covered Slade, who are heroes <laughs> from my hometown. Um, ben, thank you so much for all your work putting this together and all the descriptions and taking us through the albums. 
Jeffrey, Jesse, Jeffrey, thank you for taking your time out uh, to 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 explain to us uh, why double albums are the sign of when bands start to go wrong. Thank you very much for your insight. Thank you very much for your time. Jesse, likewise, thank you for your passion. Thank you for coming <laughs> on. Um, I hope you've had a good time. Yeah, uh, it's been a blast, yeah. man. Um, and Nick. Yeah, it's been see, fun. See you next time. Yeah, it's Bye. Fun. <laughs> Bye. That was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Ewan and I did. Thank you firstly to word nerd Ben Zimmer for his assiduous work steering us through Yola Tingo's discography, and to our guests Jesse Jarnow and Jeffrey Lewis for giving us their time, and more importantly, for not holding back with those colourful opinions. It was a real treat. Thank you also to Jonathan Fisher for making us those awesome stings, and to my affable psychic Ewan, who does so much work behind the scenes as well as chairing the discussions. Where do we go next? Well, we like to keep you guessing, but there are still hundreds if not thousands of great records to listen to. I'm not worried about running out. I'm Nick Hilditch, and I'm not afraid of you, and I will beat your ass.